0: So we're kicking off this new series today that's going to take us through the rest of September called Talking Points. And if you read our description or kind of saw the graphic before you came today, you might have thought, what in the world are they thinking? Like, I'm going to come and be so uncomfortable. I'm going to come and maybe be so offended. I'm going to have to decide if I'm going to keep going to this place. And so maybe to help you get a little more comfortable with this topic, what I'm going to invite you to do, if you're in the room and you can play along if you're at home, I'm going to invite you to get up and go to the side of the room that best describes your politics, all right? So go to the left side if you're kind of on the left, go to the right side if you're on the right, all right? Ready? No, we're not going to do that. Just kidding. Because politics can be so divisive, can it? I mean, if we look around in our world, in our culture, in our society today, we see so much division. We see so much animosity. And I'm not sure you're aware of this. might be something you don't have on your radar. But there's an election right around the corner. hate to break it to you, but it's coming soon. And along with the election comes all sorts of division. Comes all sorts of animosity. All sorts of vitriol that we see all around us and maybe we even get sucked into. Now, the thing is, Jesus had every opportunity to get involved with politics. He had people around him that constantly tried to get him to get in on the latest political fad. They wanted him to use political means. But he almost always did something else. He almost always ducked that chance. But the good news for every one of us as we seek to follow him is that he did have a lot to say about division. He did have a lot to say about what we're experiencing relationally in our world today. And so that's what we want to focus on with this series. Now, I vividly remember exactly four years ago, 2016, there was also an election on the horizon. I was serving a different church, and there were two groups at this church. One group, a large group of people, they were very nervous at this point. You know, they were kind of checking out the polls, and they were reading articles, and they were so nervous about what might happen. I mean, they would constantly talk about how scared they were and how God needed to come and intervene. And then there was this other group of people, and they were confident. They were feeling pretty good right now, this many days out from the election. Well, I remember some people from the first group came and met with me, and they said, you know what, Pastor? We need a prayer meeting, a good old-fashioned prayer meeting. Like, this is so serious. We need to lift this up to God. We need him to come and intervene. We need to get on our knees. Now, prayer meetings are always good, right? So I'm like, sure, let's do this. So we had this prayer meeting prior to the election. We had all kinds of people came into our church, and we just kind of had an open mic where people could get up and share their prayers, what was on their heart. And it was so interesting how some of the prayers were panicky, and they were nervous, and they were scared. And then there were some prayers that were just confident and optimistic and positive. And it was just this tangible picture of the division that was right in front of us. Well, then I remember the election happened, and then the very first Sunday that we were back together as a church, and I just noticed that everything flipped. Like, one group came in, and it was like they were ready to have a party. They were ready to celebrate. It was the best ever. And there was another group who you would swear was going to a funeral. They were scared. They were downtrodden. And again, it was this tangible picture of the division that's in our culture, but also the division that we often find in the church. And so now four years later, I think if we look around, we'd say that division is still here, if not worse. People say a lot of harsh things. The rhetoric is so hard. And the church seems to be caught in the middle of it all. And so Democrats have talking points. Republicans have talking points. But I think the church needs some talking points of its own. Where is our hope? What do we have to offer to the world? Now, I want to pause for a moment and talk about some temptations I think there might be in all of us as we engage in the series. See, I think we might be tempted to get sidetracked. You know, for some of us, we might be tempted to think, I'm going to listen for all the ways that there are to justify my own favorite political party's positions or to justify whoever my favorite candidate is. And there are others who are going to be thinking, I'm going to, you know, try to read through the lines, and I know he's not going to come right out and say it, but I'm going to try to figure out who he's telling us to vote for. But I think more likely, many of us will be tempted As we go through the series, to think, I can think of all the different people who need to hear this. Have you ever thought that before? You come and listen to a message series and you're like, I know everyone else needs this. I'm good, but I can make a whole list of the people who really need to listen to this. Well, what I wanna challenge you to do is to get beyond those temptations and instead to ask God to speak to you. Speak to your own life, your own situation. Let him show you where maybe you've gotten off track a little bit. Let him show you how you can better represent him in the world today. Maybe, if you're daring, let him show you where you have allowed politics or a political party or even a particular candidate to become an idol in your life. See, church, I think we have to start with ourselves. We need to take a hard look inside before we can be effective on the outside? What if every one of us would ask God to come in and to speak in to our own life? Well, the truth is, nothing seems to divide us like politics. And that's because nothing divides us like fear. And when we look around, both political parties, all the different political agendas out there traffic in so much Fear. And one of the reasons is I think fear raises money, right? Nothing raises money like making people afraid. And so we hear things like Republicans are trying to take away your right to vote, click here to donate. Or Democrats are trying to take away all your guns, click here to donate. Or maybe something like if this president is elected again, it means the end of America and maybe the end of the world. Or if a Democrat is put back into the White House, it means the end of America and maybe the end of the world. I always followed with the little button to donate more money. You see, what we tend to do is to forget who's in control. God is still on his throne. God is still in control, no matter who's sitting in the White House. In fact, as Christians, I believe we should be the least fearful people On the planet. Not because we have our heads in the sand, not because we're naive, but because we know who's ultimately in charge. We know the king of the universe. And throughout history, we see empires come and go. Rulers and kings and presidents, they come and go, but God remains constant. And throughout history, there's been a long tradition of people putting their hope in a particular empire or country or ruler. But there's also been a long history of people feeling doomed because of a particular empire or king or ruler. And yet God stays the same. God is still in control and his promises are still good. He outlasts every single one of them. Now, if you've ever been to the Colosseum before in Rome to see this amazing structure, it's where the gladiators fought. It's where many thousands of Christians were martyred, some of them fed to the lions. If you see the Colosseum, there's this prime box, and it was the imperial box. It's where the emperor of Rome would come and sit. You know, it was a Caesar, and the Caesars were worshipped as gods on earth. And so they would come and they would make a spectacle. They would be seen by the crowd. And they would get to decide who lived and who died simply by a thumbs up or a thumbs down. They thought they were the most powerful people on earth. And all of the country people thought the same thing. But yet if you go today to see the ruins in the Colosseum and you look at the imperial box, in the very spot that the Caesar sat, this supposed God on earth, now there is a cross standing there, a gigantic cross, which has been placed right where the Roman emperor sat. Such an amazing symbol that Jesus' victory was a victory once and for all. That Jesus achieved victory for all time, and he has outlasted every empire and is greater than every ruler who has ever lived His kingdom outlasts every other. And when we remember that, again, we should be the least fearful people on the planet. So while we're living in this challenging, confusing, disheartening, put whatever word you want on it, time, I believe we have an amazing opportunity as followers of Jesus to model for our community and our world what it looks like to disagree politically And yet to love unconditionally. It's totally fine. We don't have to all see eye to eye on every single political position. But as the church, as followers of Jesus, we are still called to love other people, no matter who they are, no matter who they vote for, to love them unconditionally. Now, what if that was our number one talking point? Now, my question for you is do you think that's even possible? And maybe more importantly, do you want that to be possible? This is more than just coexisting. This is more than just tolerating. It's more than looking down your nose at your opponent. See, we need to be willing to evaluate our politics through the filter of our faith rather than create a version of our faith that supports our politics. Let me put it this way. Are you willing to keep on following Jesus even when it creates space between you and your party's platform or its candidate? See, the problem is many Christians today aren't willing to do this. When Jesus says something that's contrary to what our political party says, oftentimes we ignore him or we try to explain it away. It may be more harmful and more damaging When we come up against another person who thinks differently than we do, then we suddenly conclude, well, they must not be a Christian in the first place. And all of this does great damage to the church and to God's kingdom. But here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus saw this coming. He knew we would struggle with division even today. And so towards the end of the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel in the New Testament, in chapter 17, Jesus prays a prayer. And this is a prayer that he prays right before he's about to be betrayed, before he's about to be put on trial, before he's beaten and then executed. Now, you would totally expect Jesus at this point to be praying a very self-serving prayer about all the pain he's about to endure, all the fear that he has. It'd be totally understandable. But that's not what Jesus prays for. No, he prays for you And he prays for me. He prays for us. And you've got to believe that whatever you pray, right before you're about to go to your death, it's probably pretty close to your heart. So here's what Jesus says. John 17, starting with verse 1. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Now pause there because this is amazing. He's saying that the thing that is going to bring God glory and is going to bring him glory is actually losing his life for us. That the point is sacrifice. It's unconditional love played out in this amazing way. If you want to see God's glory, if you want to see his victory, you look to the cross. Let's fast forward to verse 11. He continues to pray. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, But they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that. So that what? So that we would be protected from monsters, from persecution, from uncomfortableness, from awkward relationships? No, he says, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus' biggest hope and dream for his disciples and then for us 2,000 years later is that we would be united and we would be one. He goes on in verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them. Now, who's all Maybe a little different answer in the 1st century and the 21st century. In the 1st century, all would include Jews, Gentiles, Romans, Samaritans, women, slaves, servants, soldiers, tax collectors, fishermen, the wealthy, and the poor. But how about today in the 21st century? It includes brown, black, white, rich, middle class, poor, single, married, Republican, Democrat, libertarian, socialist, independent, indecisive, the list goes on and on. He says the prayer is that all of them may be one. Now, how does that sound? I mean, it sounds great, doesn't it? But I think if we're truly honest, we might say it also sounds impossible. But for Jesus, this was of the utmost importance. It's the very last thing on his mind before he was about to be betrayed to his execution. I think that means that it should be a priority in the church, that we can't just give up. We can't continue down the same path. It certainly is not going to happen by accident. It has to be intentional. It's going to take effort on all of our parts. And that's why Jesus took precious time to pray to God for this to happen. He continues on, Father, just as you are in me and I in you, May they also be in us so that, why is he focused on this? What is his vision? It's so that we would have a utopia? Not at all. He says, so that the world. Who is he talking about? He means people who don't believe, people who hate the church, people who can't stand Christians, people who have other beliefs, people who are of different faiths, so that the world may Believe that you have sent me. There it is. This is why it's so vitally important. To Jesus, this is key to him accomplishing his mission that he came to accomplish. Jesus is asking his father to help us to get beyond our selfishness, our sinfulness, our narrow way of thinking. And really to start to practice and to prioritize What he commanded us to do earlier that exact same day in John 13, John 13, 34, he says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. This is a new command, a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a helpful hint. And here's why it's so important again because it impacts how people experience the church and experience the gospel. Look at verse 35. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you really want to help Jesus accomplish his mission, if you really want to help Jesus spread the good news of what he's done, this is how you best do it. It's not going to come through arguing and debating. It comes through loving others well. If you want to further God's kingdom, we should put our effort into loving others. It doesn't come through passing laws, criticizing, insulting. It comes through putting our love into action. The most effective way that we can ever point someone to Jesus is by loving them well, so the question is, Church, how are we doing at this this election season? Do people recognize us? Do they recognize you? Do they recognize me? By how well we love others, including the people we disagree with the most. Let's go back to John seventeen and pick it up with verse twenty two. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Now this is amazing because it's not unity in politics. It's not unity in political party. It's unity in mission and purpose. And he goes on to say, then the world will know That you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And after this, he was betrayed, put on trial, beaten, nailed to a cross, and he gave up his life. Yet three days later, he rose again, he established the church, he empowered it with his spirit, and he sent it out in unity. And that unity is one mission and one message and one command. One mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. One message that the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus, came into our world to make things right. And he paid the penalty for your sins and mine on the cross so that we could be free and could have a right relationship. With God. And then one command, the greatest commandment love God, love people. He doesn't command us to go have the most epic social media page, not to always be right, not to put people down, not to own our enemies, not to come up with the best insult, not to create whatever else could get in the way of us and people. No, one command. Love God, love people. I love what Pastor Andy Stanley says. Your candidate will win or lose based on how America votes on one Tuesday in November, but the church will win or lose based on all of our behavior every single day between then and now. That goes for our social media, that goes for our conversations. That goes for our posture in the community. Jesus prays that we would be one, that we would stay united no matter what, and that we would choose to lead with love, that we wouldn't let anyone or anything divide us. Our world is so, so divided, and it desperately needs to see a united church. You know, when we let politics divide us, we're playing right into Satan's hands because the Apostle Paul reminds us in the New Testament that we do not battle against flesh and blood and people. No, we battle against principalities and powers in the dark world. Don't lose focus. Don't become divided. Because when we get this wrong, we try to score the easy victory. We severely hurt our witness. You know, when the grace of God truly sinks in and affects us, we should be the least offended people on earth. We should be the very last to spread conspiracy theories. We should be the very last to call people names. We should be the very last to ever, ever be mean-spirited. You know, through the 200-plus year history of our country, both political parties have gotten it wrong again and again. Political leaders have failed in so many ways, mortally and in their leadership. And in our country's short history, many political parties have even come and gone. If you've ever seen the musical Hamilton, it's an amazing tour de force of early American history put to rap music, so fun to watch. And I noticed in this musical, it's the story of Alexander Hamilton, one of the founding fathers. He was a member initially of the Federalist Party. And he was at odds with Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, who were a part of the Republican Democratic Party. And what do you hear there? two parties that were instrumental in forming our country don't exist today. So why would we ever allow our hope to be in a political party that will not last? Why would we ever allow a party or a candidate or a position get between us and Jesus' prayer for us? Here's the thing, church. Why would we ever allow a political view a view that we might reevaluate one day, we might even abandon one day, why would we ever let a political view divide us from a real, live, breathing you? The you who lives next door. Maybe the you who you're sitting beside right now. Maybe the you that you dread seeing at your family holidays every year because they're going to bring something up at dinner that you just can't stand. Why would you ever let a political view divide you from a real, live, breathing you? And instead, why would we not fight with all that we are to preserve the unity and the oneness that Jesus prayed for us? You see, we need to treat others with more grace. We need to assume the best about people and not the worst. And we should never, ever put our hope in something temporary like politics. Remember, your hope is not in an election. And your mission is not to defeat the other side. Loving God and loving people, that's what it looks like to win. So I wanna give you two action steps as you go into your week. Two ways to put this message into practice. Number one, every day, pray for unity. Pray for unity because that's what Jesus prayed for. And here's the prayer that I wanna pray and I'd invite you to join me. Pray, God, make us one so that we can reach many. God, make us one so that we can reach many. Number two, love unconditionally someone you disagree with politically. Who's that person that you always are tempted to argue with? Who's that person that you look down upon? Find a way this week to love unconditionally someone you disagree with politically. Because this is going to get noticed. This is countercultural. It's a tangible way to let your faith shine. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that for all the ways we get these things wrong, you still stick with us and you still love us and you never give up on us. God, help us to live out that prayer that Jesus prayed for us 2,000 years ago, that we would remain united, that we would be one, that we would love others with all of who we are. God, we confess that we get this wrong on a daily, probably hourly, maybe every minute basis. So we ask that your Holy Spirit come to fill us up, to give us direction and correction and guidance. God, help us to love others well, not so that we get credit, but so that they see you. God, help us not to put our hope in something as temporary and fleeting as politics. No, help us to put our hope and our trust in you and you alone. So God, we trust this to your care in the powerful name of Jesus. And let's all say together, amen. So you've heard me speak now for about 25 minutes. We're gonna worship together for about an hour. But then you're gonna go home and you've got, I don't know, how many hours through the rest of the week. And the question is how you're gonna use those hours. Maybe you're gonna flip on cable news hours upon end. You're gonna hear division. You're gonna hear name calling. You're gonna hear vitriol. So what are you gonna do? Are you gonna give into it all? Or are you gonna cling to God and his promises? Because you see, when you stay connected to him, it's then that you can say, No matter what, no matter what happens in an election, no matter what happens in society, it's then that you can say confidently, it is well with my soul.